Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode something in the mid-20s of Get the Flick Out of Here. I've lost count. Um, I'm your host, uh, Alex uh, Pulowski, and with me, as always, is uh, Kate Elizabeth. Um, uh, I've been dealing with a whole bunch of family stuff that isn't important, but I'm just tired and just stressed and, and whatever. And it's not the best uh, environment uh, to... Uh, it's more, more not very conducive to me talking about my all-time favorite movie, but maybe talking about my all-time favorite movie will bring my spirits up. So, um, so yeah, let's do that. Um, let's talk about it. Um, uh, uh, Kate, <clears throat> this movie is called The Burbs. It is. Um, I, I have watched it now four times in the past week. Uh, cause I, I just, I wanted to make sure I knew I, I like it, it had been too, it had been, I, I had foregone my usual like yearly viewing for a while, probably since becoming a father. So, uh, it's, it, it had been too long. And so I was like, let's, let's get on. And one of the, one of the viewings, cause I just picked up, uh, the new Blu-ray edition, the, the collector's edition that they released like four years ago. Um, cause the stuff that I, that, that I had, Hey, we should mention this. For some reason, you can't stream it anywhere. You have to like yes. buy it to be able to watch it uh, digitally, and it is available on DVD also. But I, I, I can't. This thing has become uh, something we'll probably touch on more. A cult favorite among a generation of people that maybe were uh, too young to see it when it came out, uh, or uh, or loved it uh, when all the critics hated it. Um, and finally, remember it. It's it's a it is a time capsule uh, of of a certain time, the end of the Reagan era. Uh, that is actually it's about the feeling of America at that time. Uh, it it has a fantastic cast. It's brilliantly written. It's impeccably directed. Uh, it is uh, it is a a very weird. Um, uh, kind of an homage to and a send up of like Alfred Hitchcock and um, uh, slasher movies and ev everything about it. It was, it, it was, it's, it's so interesting to me that this thing is kind of uh, found um, it years after its release, decades after its release, um, a, a pretty big and devoted fan base. And yet you can't find it to stream anywhere on any anything nothing has it and it's it's weird because uh peacock's universal this is a universal picture peacock license it put it on your streaming service people will flock to it i promise you um uh yeah so it's it is something that was very interesting to me so i watched this new blu-ray that just was released a few years ago um and on it they have a um they have a a full length feature-length documentary of the making of it, interviewing uh, much of the supporting cast. Uh, no Tom Hanks. But it does not doesn't, it does interview uh, the director, Joe Dante, who directed Gremlins and Inner mm -hmm. Space and a lot of things. He was a disciple. Uh, not disciple. That's the wrong word. <laughs> disciple sounds weird. Um, he was um, a, protege? Learn, a protege. He was from the learning tree. He worked as a, an assistant director on early Spielberg stuff. So he comes from uh, from really good stock as a director. Um, and obviously, like if you if you this is 
a few years after uh, Gremlins, which was a huge smash hit, um, and kind of really put him on the map. And so they they screwed it. It was the I, I learned this from from watching this documentary. It was the first film produced by Imagine Entertainment, which uh, was a big thing in the '90s and early 2000s, which was headed up by Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. A big, but it was the first film they ever released, and they did a whole bunch of things in the '90s. Um, uh, it, they were really excited about it, uh, and when it, it, also they cast Tom Hanks. Um, and this is before Big came out. He had made it, but it hadn't been released yet. And when it came out, he became a huge sensation overnight. He was on the cover of Rolling Stone, um, uh, got his first Oscar nomination. And when he's sitting there on, on set making this, um, the Rolling Stone cover uh, comes out. The movie's going crazy. Oh, there's all this Oscar buzz for him. And he's just, he didn't know when he signed up for this thing that that was going to hit so hard. Nobody did. So it was like, everyone was like, oh, great. And uh movie came out, I believe, in January of 89. Um, uh, number one in the box office. It's opening weekend. Um, did did good business uh, in, in the theaters. Uh, critically panned. All the that critics that kept the one me, actually. hated this movie and, and called it empty, which is which could not be further from the truth. Like one guy said, what the, the New York Times review, and Joe Dante is, is really, really actually has a really good outlook on something like this. Joe Dante, the director, says, um, I was a critic. I know how fun it is to write a negative review. It's a lot more fun. You don't have to like search for words that are effusive praise. You can you can turn a phrase to be like this thing sucks in a really artful way, and then you like I have a good critic and send. Um, but uh, but the guy see you, I could never review anything with a negative slant. That's just no, not that's uh, not, how, that's not how you are. How you and I are. No, no we don't we don't do not. that. We would never cotton to that kind of behavior. No, um, certainly not uh, on a weekly basis every Tuesday at 10, 10 p.m. on Fightful YouTube. No, we would not do that. No way. Um, but Joe, the, 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 New, the New York Times guy said that it was um, as, uh, as empty as something can be without creating a natural vacuum, um, which is just like <laughs> so nice. See, good. there's things that I can. So I, I liked it a lot. Uh, and there's things I can see of why someone might not like it. I only have two complaints about it. One is minor. One is a little more sweeping, but not anything crazy. Uh, I saying it's empty is off base. Yeah. Like I could see someone not liking the movie saying that it's empty feels very off base to me for a lot of reasons, yeah. including not only to your point that there's like actually a message with this, which was, which I really liked, but also there was effort behind this in a way that I feel like a lot of the movies that we've reviewed around the same time, there was not. Like there is, the soundtrack is art included within this. So beautiful. Per and, and perfect. And perfect. Uh, is perfect. almost another character in the movie. Uh, the, the, the score by Jerry Goldsmith, I think, ranks up with any you can find from the time like as far as evoking the world the director has set out to present hardly anything i can think of comes comes so oh. is perfect as that is this is it's a, yeah. it's the its own director in a way uh the lighting in this 
the uh the, there was an effort to how things were framed and a lot of stuff especially along the lines of the satirical stuff that you and i have reviewed on here uh there's not an artistic effort because it's leaning on the fact that there's funny things happening mm -hmm. where this felt much more like a I, and I hate to say it like in this way, but it felt like there was a bigger budget behind it or something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. It was and that there was uh, an artistic effort alongside the fact that it was funny. It wasn't there wasn't such a reliance on that. And because you were on record of saying that this was your favorite movie of all time. I did some research and I found some things out that I'm wondering are if they're in that documentary, which was what I think is a really fun thing about this is that the script wasn't really complete because the, the writer's strike was going on. And I think some of the openness of this being a concept and leaving it up to when you have a cast of Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks and like this high quality group of, of actors, giving them some leadway is probably something that was really healthy where if you had a cast that wasn't so good with a quirky concept like this and an incomplete script, that would not be uh, a strength of the movie, but the cast is a big part of why this works. I felt. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the the casting is um is perfect for for the main like five six characters in the movie. They're perfect. You you I I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything about any of them. Um, it, it's so great. Uh, a little interesting thing about it is yes, it was it was done during the wider strike. The script was locked in at the time of shooting. There were only two movies being shot by Universal at the time this was made. Um, this and Fletch Lives, starring Chevy Chase, were the only two movies being shot by Universal at the time this was made. They did the whole thing on the Universal backlot. Um, so everybody could live at home, drive to the Universal lot, do their day of shooting, and drive home and sleep in their own beds, which people really loved at the time. Um, and, uh, and it was filmed chronologically because film of that, chronologically, right? uh, film chronology. Don Joe Dante loves doing that, but also, uh, when you get there's a certain points in the movie, uh, where the environment the, the environment changes, um, where uh, so something has happened, uh, to one of the houses in front of one of the houses, uh, one of the houses is just gone, and you can't shoot things out of order if that if you if you built a set. You've got to shoot things in order, at least vaguely in order. Um, they were talking about how they had six weeks of night shoots, which is really, uh, and it's all like they shot it at like three in the morning because they're not in the soundstage. They're outside on the back lot. So like if it was, if it was bad weather, you couldn't film things, all that kind of stuff. So all that plays into things, but um, because they skirted some of the whole, Hey, um, we like this improvisation a little bit better. Uh, they skirted the whole writer strike um, by um, casting the script, the scriptwriter Dana Olson as one of the cops at the end of the movie, and then just included him on the run sheet every day. So he would be on set as an actor and they could be like, Hey Dana, could you write? Sir? And he would just like, like, yeah, no, that's pretty good. You, you could do like they without, without breaking any of the rules, of the writer strike, they were able to actually have him on set giving input, which is really great. That's very clever. Um, yes. Uh, I think that th there's, there's something about it, the way that it was uh, put together, which, um, is, 
it was so unique about the way the whole thing came together. I think that maybe if it had been done at a different time, it wouldn't it wouldn't have come together the way it did. Um, uh, so uh, to begin the re recap, they have one of the mo I think one of the true true iconic opening shots um, of the era, maybe of history, if you've actually seen it. the The old Universal logo was just a spinning globe. You know, with how the universal on it. Now it has like that weird thing where like you're like skirting the edge of the earth as it rotates towards <laughs> you and there's big things and loud music. But the old one was just a spinning globe. And as the globe spins, the camera pushes in at the United States of America into the middle of it. And I, 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 I've done the research because I'm very, I'm very, very interested in to say where these people decided in America this is set. And the best I can figure from where it actually zooms into on in America is like Western Iowa, which is such a weird place for it to be the burbs. But like um, it, it is like people who move out in the middle America in these little idyllic communities, like outside of a city of 150,000 people, not nothing like the, the suburbs of Chicago or like, you know, uh, across the Hudson from New York. It's a completely different kind of suburbia, but it is specific to what they wanted to do. They wanted to have a little bit of Midwest thing to it. So as the camera pushes in on Iowa, um, uh, without, doesn't have like this, the state borders or anything. It's just, no, no, no. And he pushes <laughs> all the way in and it keeps going closer and closer until it like pushes all the way down to just above house level. And it goes from um, like that, it, as seamlessly as you could do at the time, um, goes to an overhead shot of a model. Um, and then it switch, swoops around and shows you the whole cul-de-sac, um, Mayfield Place. And swoops around and gives you a full um, front shot uh, as, as the camera settles of the Klopek house, um, which, is, which looks like a haunted house. Uh, it's perfect. The art design for it is so great. Um, and then it, it moves, the camera moves again and shows you the big front of the Peterson home, which is where Ray Peterson lives. That's Tom Hanks. And there's something going on, noisy in the basement of this house, the Klopek house. And then a, a light turns on upstairs and you hear Carrie Fisher go, Ray, where are you going? Come back to bed. As you Then lights come, turn on all the way down the stairs and he opens the front door and there's Tom Hanks in his bathrobe, pajama pants, T-shirt no shoes walking across his front lawn to try and figure out what the heck's going on um it's all very atmospheric he could tell he doesn't really want to deal with this um he looks across the street beautiful shot backlit a figure upstairs the house across the street haloed by the light behind him smoking a cigar uh, he'll come in handy in a second but then um but he as as Tom Hanks tries to take a step into the Klopex lawn, like a wind kicks up and blows all these like dead leaves into his face. Um, and the, 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 the stuff in the basement kicks up, goes crazy again. And then he just stands there and he's back into his house. Um, and uh, it, it starts with this very idyllic little community of a paper boy uh, going, this is where the music is just so, Oh, perfect. Happy and, and sweet and everything. Just everything is perfect. Everything on the surface is perfect. Um, and but it's not because the the, the 
the Pepper Boys Brandon's route, throws the paper and hits the Tom Hanks who's coming up to get the paper right in the chest. And he flings the coffee from his mug after the paper boy, which is just what a Tom Hanks. I know was my favorite movie, but I honestly believe this. This is one of his greatest performances, top three or four. Like the the all the nuance that he puts into this character, working schlub, probably works as an office uh, middle management, whatever. Um, a, a guy, early 30s, got one kid who's like 10 years old, married, owns a house in suburbia. That's all we know about this guy. And he creates this very rounded person. Um, but I just love the idea of him just, just throwing the coffee after that was such a great little shot. And he's the, so he's just unbelievable. Like, when you think this is the same guy that did like he did Turner and Hooch mm -hmm. around this time, mm -hmm. and then he ended up with. Forges to Gump and Road to Perdition right. and like like Philadelphia just, was only a few years after this. Was it yes, like, this is, yeah, this like ninety two, like ninety three, like, yeah, yeah, right. So it's um to your point, it's it, he has such an interesting career to me because he's had so many roles where the role demands a terrific actor, and then he has had roles more in this line where the role isn't that much, and he just has his stamp on it in such yep. a special way, and that's like exactly what this is we've seen this archetype so many times and he just brings so much life to it there's yeah. so much energy in it um his timing is unbelievable and he he's got on to have such an incredible dramatic career you forget like the string of comedies including this one he's just unreal in this and to your point about the the soundtrack too every time that they're locked in on the the haunted mansion it's spooky music uh -huh. This opening score of the, I mean, people use the word cinematic to describe mm -hmm. suburban perfection, right? Yeah. Like the score coming into this and that opening shot of it being on that like mini town, the model town mm -hmm. swooping mm -hmm. up is artistic perfection. Like yeah. it's, it's really, really, really strong. Um, uh, I think that really the role of Ray Peterson is basically nothing on the page. Like every, everybody, he's the straight man. Everybody else around him are nutcases, but he's a straight man and you need him to be that. But Tom Hanks walks it right up to the edge of the line where he himself becomes a stock character, but he doesn't like, that's what is so great about it. Um, uh, we see the, the, um, the <laughs> we see, um, the, uh, the, the, the cul-de-sac at the end. And there's a, a man um, uh, in an obvious toupee with little mustache and a, and a pale yellow cardigan and a little bow tie with a tiny little dog. Um, and, uh, and he lets the dog go. The dog runs down the street, two houses down, and, uh, and circles and takes a little poop. Um, and the thing about it is, is that this music is so great because the way the music is, it's so, so lively and everything. But as soon as the dog becomes the main character of the shot, there's an added part of the music where the, where you hear it go, roof, 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 I mean, like, it's just, it's so weird, but, but it's artistic perfect. and it's, it is, it's just perfect. So then, um, you see, uh, uh, Tom Hanks, morning, Walter. Um, here's a little detail. Um, why I've always thought that uh, that the name Walter 
as the name for a giant wrestler who chops people until they die uh, doesn't really fit the characters because the first person I ever saw with the name Walter was this character. And so I'm always like, yeah, Walter's not a right name for a, for a guy, for a guy like Walter. Um, but of anyway, course. um, uh, so then you hear him, you, he doesn't even rec, doesn't even respond to Ray, but you can go Queenie. Queenie is the name of the little dog. Perfect. The dog uh, sprints back over there. Uh, he's a good dog. I had to interrupt you because yeah. I learned a fun fact about this little Bichon free dog. Oh, yes. This dog was also the dog in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, my. Oh, perfect. One, Precious, I think, with the dog yes. in Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Name. I, of course, never saw it because, as you know, it's I'm a giant scary. sissy. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's like, that's the end. Silence of the Lambs is the perfect movie of something I wish I could watch so badly. That is the furthest thing from something I could ever watch. <laughs> it would be really up. interesting to be able to like tell you, like on a on a DVD, what chapters are all right for you to watch, and what chapters you have to skip. You know what I mean? Because I think you'd really, really enjoy the 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 discussions between Jodie Foster and Hannah and, and Anthony Hopkins in the prison. Uh, but probably that's about it. <laughs> Well, that's about it. Um, but yes, though, the, yeah, the little dog, she's uh, great, uh, Queenie. Little Bichon, um, little buddy. Yeah, yeah, perfect, tiny little. Uh, what, is, what do you call it, Bichon Free? I th I think a Bichon Free. Ah, the... um, it is a tiny little uh, poodle terrier. Um, basically, is what I would describe it as. Um, and uh, as is good good for you, that lawn needed fertilizing anyway. Says Walter <laughs> as they walk into the house after he clips some. Um, uh, some flowers goes back in the house now. Um, Ray goes back inside, and now we meet three new characters. Um, uh, there is um, uh, Corey Feldman, uh, at this time was a mega star starting to happen. Now, drugs would stop that from actually blossoming into something, unfortunately, but like he had done license to drive and. A dream a little dream where he was like the lead character in these things and it was a huge heartthrob and he was like do i want to do like an ensemble comedy like this his agents were like no no no, no. you're you're a you're an above the title guy not like the fifth lead you're not that's and he's like but the script is so good though like so so um so he decided to do it and it's 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 so i'm so glad he did because he's perfect for it he's he is. perfect for it um he is th this kid named ricky butler who I would guess, because this is um, this is summer uh, vacation time. So I guess he would be going into his senior year in high school, I would guess. Um, and uh, you never really get, this is what I love about this movie, is it makes you fill in the gaps, but the gaps are kind of obvious to fill in, but it never holds your hand. Um, what you kind of figure out is that his parents are gone. They've gone away for a vacation of some kind. And they left him behind to paint the house, which was a terrible choice on their part. Such a bad parenting move. <laughs> they do not know their son um, because all he does is get paint everywhere. He barely paints anything. Um, but that is that is his. That's why he's here, right? One of the things that I've always, if I could ask Dana Olson uh, uh, questions, it would be. Um, 
tell me about Ricky Butler's parents. I want to know what characters they are, what the relationship they have with Ray, and we'll talk about him in a second, Art, and uh, and and like all that. Like, if they were here during this week, would would the father be participating in their little spy ring? Like, I, I don't like that's interesting. Like, the whole little detail there. There's also, if you look at the model, and I made sure to freeze it this time, there is a separate house that is kitty corner from um from from ray uh, uh between walter's house and rumsfield's house who we're going to talk about nobody from that house is in the movie so it's interesting like like do they are they people who just don't really associate with these types were they gone on vacation too we'll never know but there's a house that's there in this whole it's the only house in this area of the cul-de-sac that doesn't have a character living in it as part mm -hmm. of the movie and that always made me go hmm uh but I, who knows anyway so we meet ricky butler who comes out with a, with a with an open can of paint and spills some immediately of course um and he's got a stereo set up outside it must be seven in the morning <laughs> and he immediately starts pu putting on the like great like late 80s hairband music um, and out from the door, his next-door neighbor, Mark Rumsfeld, lieutenant in the U.S. Army, retired, uh, Mark Rumsfeld comes out um, wearing combat boots uh, and and little little uh, little cargo shorts that are like four inches above the knee, uh, and he comes out with his little trophy wife, whose name is uh, Bonnie, uh, and uh, she is just all dolled up all the time in little slinky lingerie. Uh, Wendy Shall, who plays her, says that they had decided that she was a showgirl in Vegas who met him there and then married him. And they, they, that he's, I'm going to guess, 25 years older than she is. Yeah. He's a little archetype or whatever, but he was definitely in Nam. He actually mentions it at one point. Yes. Um, uh, so he's that guy. There is a certain archetype in the 80s of um, Vietnam vet whatever there's a there's a uh, apparently a deleted scene they never actually filmed but it's in the script where you see inside mark rumsfield's garage and it's just an arsenal of weapons just like he's just commando in there uh but they never actually sh shot it for the film he's like always ready for war mm -hmm. and the again music being its own character mm -hmm. in this no better than this like Patton-esque remix music uh -huh. that he gets that uh -huh. follows Always. him everywhere. Uh -huh. uh, and it's just fun. Like all of the the archetypes of the characters have life in them because because of the acting performances that are, that are within them. Like right. we're also watching it now, right? And this was 89. Uh -huh. So these uh -huh. archetypes were not as repeated yet. Right. But like even going back and being like, oh, he's that guy. Oh, he's that guy. Like, the acting and it's just so good that it doesn't feel like two-dimensional in any way like all of them are are so um brought to life just just by the performances and and he's definitely one of them because he has some flat out classic 80s goofy physical comedy yeah. it's yes, in this that that doesn't feel um out of place or, or tired oh. or anything like it's good uh bruce dern uh, uh fantastic uh, yeah um uh, the late Bruce Turner, uh, as far as I 
remember um but very recently did he pass um if he if indeed he did <laughs> um but uh but um but he was nominated for for an oscar for um no he's still alive still alive sorry about that didn't mean to kill you off there bruce stern still alive <laughs> Um, uh, but, uh, but nominated, uh, for, uh, for an Oscar for Nebraska a few years ago. Um, he's, uh, but he was, he had, he was big in the seventies. Um, and, uh, it was great that they got him. He was a, he was a big, very highly sought after character actor anyway. Um, so he runs up the flag hole, flag hole, flag pole, automatically. A flag. He 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 like is what you're supposed to do every night. You don't let the flag fly at nighttime. You you take it down. You you fold it up the way you're supposed to fold it. That's he's a military man, so he, he runs up the flagpole, pushes a little button that goes up automatically, and he salutes the flag. And as he steps back, he steps into the little pile that Queenie left him. And we can tell immediately that this is a sore spot for Mister Rumsfeld. Yes. <laughs> he. He uh, he runs over out front of Walter's house as his wife is trying to hold him back. Uh, so, I says that that piece of scum barking rat of yours has just taken his last dump in my lawn. Um, uh, if I find one more, just one, I'm going to catch him and staple his ass shut. Uh, is what he says. And then Queenie runs to the big bay window in front of Walter's house and starts barking at him, which I just love. Queenie being like, I'd like to see you try, old man. Yes. Which I just think and is so knowing great. that this dog is being shit talked on. Yeah. Like, it's, so it's fantastic. The dog was like, I know. No, I know is other what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, we, we go back to Ray, who's uh, sitting there watching all of this happen out the window. And Carrie Fisher comes out and says, what are you doing up? Which is why it's, I was like, it must be really early. Um, so he's, he, he says, looking out, kind of amused and and uh, and happy. Hey, Walter's dog just took a dump in Rumsfield's yawn again. <laughs> and then Carrie Fisher says, good, honey. Which is just, she's just so dismissive. I love her in this so much. Uh, now that one, I know she did pass away. And she was, she was so damned funny everybody in this documentary when talking about her says she kept everybody in stitches when they weren't like when they weren't there she was so funny everybody everybody loved her um and i thought that was a, was just such a great thing because she's just she gets to play the the downer the whole thing yes. she's skeptic always about everything um and and she, and i love that she was the one who was making everybody laugh but there's a whole um little um segment here of um um of ray and and carol have this wonderful just rapport uh ray carrie fisher and and tom hanks have that you really believe that they're this that they, they 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 talk about how uh they met in college so they've been together for like 12 years or whatever um and um you can tell they really love each other even though they argue all the time um it's really it's a it's a very sweet relationship um but she's just so pissed at him <laughs> for just some of the weirdest stuff that he does. Um, she is making a giant batch of what looks like French toast batter. And um, and she, wait a minute, are you going to eat any of this? And she's like, no, no, I got that thing with my stomach again. Um, and like, again, that thing with my stomach again just tells us everything we need to know about who this guy is. It's just 100%. so great. Um, we find out he is. Uh, it's his. It's his first day of his vacation, so it's a Monday. Very crucial. It's a Monday. First day of his vacation, where he should be at work today. 
uh, he took the week off. And she says, let's go up to the lake. Let's go, let's go up to the lake. Um, and then we'll, we'll relax up there. You call going to the lake resting. It's four hours in the, on the tollway in holiday traffic to sit in some wet, dank cabin. This is what he says. And wait for that neighbor with the enormous head to get drunk and fall down the stairs. That's not my idea of restful. And she says, he's a hydrocephalic and I don't think you should make fun of him. Um, and it's just the way that, like, why is that even the script? Because it tells us who these people are. I love it. Um, and he says, what I want more than anything is just to be lazy, sit around the house, you know, listen to the ball game, uh, maybe drink a couple of hundred beers. I love that line. <laughs> maybe smoke the occasional cigar. And she shoots a look at him and he says, outside, which I just love that. Uh, if you want me to fix the barbecue, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll do I just need to be lazy. Let me be lazy. She says, fine, it's your vacation. And then we're introduced to Art. We introduced to him who, who creeps into the into 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 the Ray Peterson's backyard with a with a gun, with some kind of rifle, because he's gonna shoot a crow. Um, and and then we just hear see Ray looking out the window, he's like, Oh my god, Art's got a gun. And he runs out, and <laughs> as as Art is training the gun to try and shoot the crow, he misses Ray's head by about that much. Um okay. And he and he goes, hey hey Ray good morning what are you guys eating in there and then we get the whole thing so uh, Art next door neighbor on the left of the Petersons um, is uh, also uh, I would I would I would venture to guess out of work as opposed to staying at home uh, but his wife went took went for the week to go visit her mother and he says why didn't you go with him like are you kidding me the two of them in the same house together I'd rather chew broken glass. Um, so, uh, he's, he's eating everything in the house. He's finishing up a big plate of, of French toast, sopping up the syrup with a, with a sausage link, but they're out of syrup in this one bottle. So he gets up from the table, like he owns the place, walks over, throws that syrup in the trash, gets another one out of the fridge. But not only that, he gets out a whole pineapple, a whole pineapple, a plate of some leftovers, and then some ribs that have, that have been put away for safekeeping that they got, they made on the grill. Um, and he's just eating the whole thing. They're, they're talking about um, uh, Ray um, sticking around for, for the thing. Oh, good good luck relaxing with those maniacs you got living next door. So this is where we're talking about the Clopex. Uh, they've been living there for a month. A month seems like a short amount of time for the tree to completely die in their front yard. <laughs> and and, and, and the, the lawn to just completely turn to dirt and for the house to collapse, basically. Um, but I think that they're overselling what's happened to the house on purpose as part of the joke. Um, uh, but they talk about how these uh, Klopex, you know, who are these people? What, what is that, a Slavic name? I don't know. They're going to do something about their yard, whatever. And then we get this thing where um, where they, uh, I, I, nobody's, nobody's had, nobody even talked to them. No idea. Like, um, well, how, I mean, what does, what does that matter? So they keep it to themselves. Like, how many conversations do you have with the Naps before they moved? Like I, I had, I had, I had one. Um, and it's like, well, that's completely different. Like whatever, you know, like, I mean, they, they, they had a lawn to mow. They mowed their yard. They had a yard to mow. We don't even know how many of these people there are. And that's the first time we hear 10 year old Dave Peterson, Ray's son say, there are three of them. I was up on my, uh, on the roof with my telescope and I saw them in the backyard. They were digging. Um, and he's munching on an apple at the same time that art is Chewing off the bone a rib, and, he, and he's like, yeah, he's 
kind of like grave diggers maybe and they're like chewing right and he's like okay that's enough of this conversation says ray um and uh he he's like i'm i'm gonna go he's like where are you going i'm gonna go changing my vacation togs which i just love that line um it says are you gonna eat your eggs so all the stuff from the fridge not enough gotta eat ray's eggs and he smiles through a giant full mouth and Carrie Fisher, who you can tell detests this man to her very core. And and now we've we've met everybody we need to meet. I love um I remember my mom saying when I graduated high school that like it was the first time in her life that life wasn't dictated by three o'clock PM, like oh. right after school. And I was thinking about that in this movie because I was like She's dealing with her dipshit husband being home. He's on vacation. All he wants to do is be lazy. And she's probably like used to having this time to herself. And in the summertime, just her and their son. And now he's here. He's all over the place. And he has stated he wants to be lazy. And that's mm -hmm. what he wants to do with his vacation. Yeah. So he has established he is going to be of no help whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and I, I just love that idea of like, to me, I read part of the agitation as like he's yeah. normally is at work. Normally mm -hmm. is at work at this yep. time. Yes. Um, and I, I loved that. I I found it very charming. Uh I love that that neighbor that comes over archetype is such a fun one. Like that yeah. guy that just just disrupts your house. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's so much fun. And and here it's just so it's everything is so effortlessly established here mm -hmm. instead of being so telegraphed. And to your point, we've met basically the entire cast of characters yep. that you're going to meet. And you could also get a handle on, Oh, okay. I see where this is going without it being so spoon fed. Mm -hmm. um, the house next door is perfect. The overaging in a month is great. Uh, it, it's, it's just a blast of, Everything that you would see on Everybody Loves Raven is done better here or whatever. <laughs> like every yeah. every type of almost sitcom type thing is executed better in this movie, I think, than uh especially having never seen it before. I I was really impressed by how easy everything felt instead of so two-dimensional and on yes. the nose, a lot of these things can feel at times. Yeah. Um uh uh, the, the next scene again further establishes all of this with um, uh, Ray and Art just hanging outside the garage. Uh, across the street is um, is um, is uh, Mark Rumsfeld and, and his trophy wife, uh, who is again in in, in a, some kind of state of disrobe at all times. Uh, yeah, she's so like much, washing so the thin. car in a bikini a lot. All, all that, like... all that stuff. Um, uh, but. Uh, Ricky Butler just straight up hits on her in front of the Amazing. lieutenant. Says, "Hey, Miss Rumsfield, no tan lines this morning. Looks nice, and and it just not threatened at all." Mark Rumsfeld looks at his wife and says, "That kid next door is a meatball." Just the way, the, what a perfect description of him as well. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, so Ray and Art are hanging outside. He's like, uh, wait, so what, what are you going to do today? Um, I don't know. Hey, Daddy, did I ever show you my, my new tools? Carol's father gave them to me for Christmas. Now, it must be June. I love that he calls them their new tools, but it's... <laughs> but I got them for Christmas. 
Um, and he pulls them out from under this thing. You can tell he's never done anything with them, but he's very excited to have them. Of it's course. a kind of a thing of like, as a man, I should own tools, even though I do nothing with them. And um, uh, he's, it, and Art says, you're going to build something with those? I don't know. Maybe. Just the way <laughs> just the way he says it is great. Um, uh, he, then then he, Art says, hey, you want to go to the deli and get one of those beef sandwiches? He's not that fat. But he's 1989 fat. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Yes. He's, not, he's not John Candy, but he's definitely a little rotund. Now, that's, this is Rick Dukeman, who is the least famous guy in, in, in the main cast. Um, he was a, a Canadian stand-up comic um, and kind of, like, left the business, didn't want to act anymore pretty soon after this. Um, it was really hard, they said, to cast this role. They were looking for the right dynamic. Um and uh, Rick came in and slayed everybody in, in the audition. And they were like, we want this guy. And the, and the producers were like, really? Because we got some way more famous guys who were going to add to the box office who were, who were willing to take a look at it. It's like, no, we want this guy. And they didn't say who it was, but I was like, way more, way more famous at this time. Like, was John Candy? thought of as an as an option for this maybe yeah you know like but it might that might have like overshadowed the tom hanks thing like it would like i don't know how they would have too big they'd, yeah. they'd already worked together in volunteers and everything i get that but like it was a different time whatever so he's just so 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 great in this um but uh there <laughs> uh there's a great thing where where uh, rumsfield says hey look it's peterson you know, he came out. He came. Uh, he came out of his uh, house last night in his bathrobe when the foreigners were making all that racket. Didn't do one thing. This is the way. This is the way the whole thing is written. All the characters are so perfect. But then, the front door of the Klopex house opens, and out steps the oddest looking person you've ever seen. He's just. It's Courtney Gaines, who was who was famous at this time for being in Children of the Corn, which is the movie you can't see. Um, but but uh. But he's got like there's the term neck beard, okay? This man actually has a beard that exists entirely from here to here, and that's the only place the neck the beard is. And I just thought that was a very he's wearing a a a, 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 a an undershirt, suspenders, uh, uh, that and and you know pants obviously. But like it's it's he's he is the 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 character design. For all of the Clopex is spot on. Like, it's just so perfect. He, in my notes, I wrote down is a crossover between, I don't know if you're an It's Always Sunny fan, but mm -hmm. he's a crossover between the McFoyles and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you mm -hmm. know the McFoyle brothers, they're just like, mm -hmm. they're just weird looking and weird dudes. And they're like also a neighbor character. Um, and it's always sunny, comedic and quirky mm -hmm. and, and off the beaten path, but kind of crossed over with this. Um, I feel like most suburban neighborhoods have that one family that feels kind of like maybe financially they're not in the same bracket, but maybe they just barely mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't normally live in the haunted mansion type house. They would live right. in the one with like the Chevy truck outside that's mm -hmm. rusting or whatever. But this kind of gave you that immediate feel of something's not quite right right um uh so uh he's out there to pick up the paper i guess which was apparently by the by the paper boy lovingly placed on his front porch <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um 
he he looks around at everybody staring at him, picks up the paper, and recedes back into the house as Art is needling Ray. Well, you should go over there and talk to him. You got, you got to talk to him. Come on. He's like, well, you could talk to him. Yeah, but he's your neighbor. Well, your neighbor too. But yeah, but you share a property line with him. I'm over. You, you should be the one to talk to him. You should go. You should talk to him. This is the best chance you're ever going to get. And eventually he goes in the house and he's like, uh, look at that. Look at that. You look like a chicken. Like a chicken in front of your son and everything. Your chicken. Because there's a little bit Ricky Butler. Ricky Butler pals around with all the adults in the neighborhood and also is like a cool enough, genial enough, like 17-year-old to like hang out with a 10-year-old from across the street. Like it's, he's, he's not. Yeah. He's not at all like stuck up. And I also love this thing because uh, Curry Feldman could not be more California if he tried. But. All of the teens in the Midwest in 1989 were trying so hard to be California that it, that it honestly still feels real. But um, so everyone's watching this thing, and you hear Corey Feldman, Ricky Butler, go for it, Mr. Peterson. Yes. It's like, well, now everyone's watching us. Well, now, okay, you know, let's both. We're both going to go up to the door, ring the doorbell, and we're going to talk to him. And this to me was kind of the beginning of the. The adults are acting like big kids. Yes. Piece of this, which is really, really fun in yeah. my in my opinion. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of goading each other. Yeah. Like it's it's really fun. They they um they walk up to the door to an actual Ennio Morricone track from a Sergio Leone Western. This is the one thing John John Don, Dante said about Jerry Goldsmith. He says the score he came back with was perfect except for this particular thing. I needed this feel of the the hero in the Western going to meet his certain doom and that kind of um, overall bombastic feel to it. And it is perfect. I forget what the, what movie he said. They, they, they lifted it directly from. They a song written by Ennio Morricone for Sergio Leone Western in the late 60s. And um, and it's just beautiful. There's, there's there's horns, and at one point you there's this this and the chorus like there's actually choir of people going oh it's amazing. And while they're walking slowly toward the house, it cuts to the face of everybody watching this pushes in on Corey Feldman, pushes in on Bruce Dern, on Wendy Shaw. <laughs> It points it, at the very end of this whole thing, as it like uh, as it cuts back from them walking to all these people. It cut it, it pushes in on Walter, and then it pushes it on Queenie the dog. It's one of the funniest shots because they they're making it so overly serious that you know they're they're poking fun at it. But um, and uh, somehow the timing with the dog, the dog is mean mugging the camera. Right, like it's totally unbelievable the. The like squinty yeah. eyes that the dog is giving to the camera. I don't know how that made that work, but it's incredible. It's so good. Um, anyway, so they they walk up onto the porch. Art steps through a hole in the porch. He makes a hole. The porch collapses under his under his foot. Um, and then they knock on the door, and it's it's, it's the design of this is so perfectly timed. Uh, the the house number is six six nine. So he takes the giant oversized door knocker, raps once, and the nine falls down, like swings around. So it says now it says six, six, six. Perfect. And they all they both look at it. They look at each other. They know what they're like. The symbolism of this is not lost on us. 
And then he hits it again, and the entire um, address sign swings down around like this, which knocks the, the lamp. Off. Again, this house, it's obviously the oldest house in this area of the cul-de-sac. Like, it's a, it's a hundred-year-old home. The way it's designed tells you that. But it looks like nobody's lived there forever because the, the lamp just falls off, and the hole where the lamp was, out like a whole hornet's nest of bees and chases them across the street. Um, and uh, and and uh, Mark says, get the hose. Turn on the hose. Get the water. And he's like, come on, men, soldiers, run to me. And he's, he's warding all the water off of them as they're running around being like, and Corey Feldman's laughing his ass off. And I love that, like, the son is just like, <sighs> my dad, again, being this. Like, the, the son is so completely over it. I just love that little detail. Because he's not a very big character in the movie. The son isn't, but like no. I think it's vital for Ray to have the kid there because it's part of like, like not like looking like a chicken in front of your son, but like just having that as part of like you always have that in the back of your mind of like I gotta be a good dad on top of all this other stuff. How would I? Am I being a good dad by by setting this example or whatever? Anyway, and he almost like we'll get into it later, but like he's almost a narrator esque type. Mm -hmm. He's like a very much an observer. Yep. In a very literal way that we'll see later, but like it—it's—he's it, not the straight man, but he's like on the outside looking in a lot of this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Um. So that's that's the end of the morning. They went over. They tried. They were chased off by bees. And they never tried again. And the shot is kind of like. It, it's not head on. Yeah. It's it's almost like the camera is embedded into the side of the house, which is mm -hmm. a really, really cool yeah. visual for this too. It was just That's really right. fun. Um, they, uh, the next scene uh, is at night. It's weird because they shot the whole thing late at night. So you can never really tell. I think it's basically right after dusk. Like that's when it's supposed to be, even though it's pitch blackout. Um, but um, uh, uh he comes out to take the dog for take the dog for a walk because he's tired of his wife nagging at him about if we should have just gone to the lake and you wouldn't have all these bee stings. Like, listen, if I went to the lake, I'd have twice as many of these by now. So I don't want to hear any of it. Uh, it's like, where are you going? I'm I, I'm I'm going to Banff, Canada. Okay, I'm taking the dog for a walk. Let's go. I'm, yeah. Uh, so he he walks out and he uh, he, he gets uh, kind of accosted by uh, Art and. Uh, Ricky Butler, who are drinking beers, and I love that Art drinks beers with the, with a neighborhood seventeen year old, because why wouldn't you? Of course, especially um, in the eighties. Yeah, um, and there's this. Uh, this is where they tell the story of Skip, the soda jerk, who uh, thirty uh, years prior uh, murdered his whole family with an ice pick. Uh, Dana Olson uh, talked. This was basically the the impetus. For him to write the thing was that like he grew up in the suburbs of chicago like right next to chicago um but the suburbs where you wouldn't even know it was right next to chicago unless you were like looked at it from above like it was completely insular um and like every so often you'd like you'd hear about hey um that was like three suburbs over some librarian snapped and killed his whole family and then killed himself and it was just so weird to think growing up like you never know, like Mr. Flanagan down the block might actually be Jack the. Just that thought of it 
um, was really always stuck with him. And so um, now um, uh, he wrote this thing about, about this whole idea of, of that. Um, so the skip idea of this guy who murders whole family with an ice pick and uh, years ago and, and, um, uh, and Ray being like, yeah, I, I remember when that happened. That was, that was crazy. Um, and so uh, then there's a jump. There's a little thing. Well, Corey Feldman intentionally scares him. And he's like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going inside. Yeah, come on. It was just a joke. I love he says, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television. <laughs> uh, and the next thing you see is him playing Jeopardy with his wife, like watching Jeopardy and like playing along with it, which I thought was fun. And it really, you could tell they do this all the time. Yes. They have little notebooks where they keep score. Like it's, that's a very sweet thing to do. He's eating, he's eating fruity cereal out of the box with his hands, which is a perfect little, like of who this guy is. It's perfect. Um, did you then, notice the gremlin cereal? In yes. This too? yes I did. I Fantastic. That's great. Product placement. Um, uh, which we learned about in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, uh, part two. That's right. Um, uh, there's a knock at the window and it's art. And he tries to hide every time Carrie Fisher looks. Just, just straight. There's so much of the, again, as you said, adults being little kids. It's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, and and uh, Tom Hanks is like, I don't know what he's doing. Listen, I'll be back before Final Jeopardy. And I love that they all have changed their clothes because it's later at night. It's 11 o'clock at night, so it's colder out. So they're all wearing long pants with it before in the earlier nighttime shot. The little things like that, like as what you would do if you were at home. It's still warm out at seven, but it's not warm out at 11. That kind of a thing. Love that. Um, they are decided to snoop everywhere. And so Rumsfeld has brought a night vision scope, infrared scope. Um, and uh, they're going to look through it at, 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 at the thing across the house. Um, and so they're 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 watching it, and Tom Hanks being the skeptic and everything. This all I love. Corey Feldman is narrating this for his girlfriend. She's like, "Why can't we go see a movie? A movie? That's just that's not that's not make believe. This is real. This is my neighborhood. We're gonna sit on my porch and watch this." And he narrates the whole thing to his girlfriend. Um, uh, but they are they're sco snooping with this light night vision scope. Um, and then they see the crazy stuff happening in the basement with the lights and everything. And it just like goes crazy. Like it sounds like a, and, uh, I love that um, uh, uh, Tom Hanks says it looks like, it sounds like a transformer is over yeah. there. Like, it, like not like a transformer, like an electric transformer, like an, like, but actually like a transformer, like Optimus Prime. And uh, there's a, there's a lightning strikes the top of the lightning around the top of the house. Like, it's just this, this huge thing. And like, what the hell's going on? Um, and this is about they're going to go over and investigate for real. Uh, the garage door opens, and out very slowly, this old, this late model Buick boat type car drives very slowly down to the edge of the driveway, which is maybe twenty five feet. And the kid we've seen before gets out, an 18, 20 year old kid, pulls a big hefty bag of garbage out of the back seat of the car or the trunk of the car puts it in the thing and then takes a garden hoe and just just goes crazy with the thing on this and just go just goes nuts um and and you then it starts to rain puts the lid on top gets back in the car backs it into the driveway driveway closes and you and then tom hanks has one of my favorite lines in the history of mine Saints. too I've, so I've never seen that I've, I've never seen somebody drive their garbage down to the street and then bang the hell out of it with a stick. I've, I've, I've never seen that. 
Just the way he says it, it's just so perfect. I love him perfect. so much in this movie. He's just so great. Um, and it's, it's like, well, we got to go over there and look at the garbage cans. But it's pouring down rice. Like, call me overly cautious, but the three of us snooping in their garbage at 11 o'clock at night in the middle of a rainstorm, like, yeah, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow, he says. Um, everyone agrees to do it tomorrow. Um, that night, Tom Hanks, out, out his window, sees three figures in in hooded raincoats digging giant holes in the backyard, in their backyard. Um, in, like, synchronicity, too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just yeah. looking at my notes, they're Everything. all, like... Oh, it's so, good. so It's so good. And again, like, so artfully done. Like, there's so many shots in this that the lighting really gives it a whole other feeling um, that, it, like, a lot of things could read very flat if they weren't taken care of by... And the with our artistic so in, integrity. Yeah, yeah, the music the whole time. The whole time, um, the music. But the next morning, we were introduced to... Uh, um, uh, Dick Miller, who was in uh, Gremlins, played mm -hmm. play the old man in Gremlins, and Robert Picardo, who was in Inner Space, who played the cowboy uh, in Inner Space, another Joe Dante movie from a couple of years prior to this. So Joe Dante guys who brings in to play these bit parts of these arguing, bickering, old married couple type uh, garbage men. Like, you got it. You got to go into the seminar. This guy knows everything about the healing power of crystals. Um, it's like, no, no, we listen. No, Wednesday night's no good for me. I'm in a I'm in a bowling league. We're taking on Roselli Plumbing. Not happening. And so then out comes Art running in his bathrobe to try. Like, no, no, we have to see what's in this thing. He dumps out everything on the on the um, uh, on the street. I love the guy says the, Robert Picardo, who's the conspiracy nut character, says, "Listen, Vic, the Supreme Court ruled that person's garbage is public domain the minute it hits the street." So he, what everything he's doing is nice and legal. And Bruce Dern runs out in his little tiny camo boxer shorts. Amazing. With half of his face still has shaving cream on it. The other half doesn't. I love that little detail. He jumps in the back of the thing. He's arguing with the garbage man. And meanwhile, um, uh, 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 Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks have this crazy drag, long down drag argument about about what's going on like you're this is all there's like whatever like i i just want to you y'all go up to the cottage go to you and dave take dollars from the cottage fine let me just pout around the house all by myself all you do is pal around the neighborhood with all those chuckleheads and and uh and she um uh then dave runs in and he's trying to interrupt their giant argument and uh it's like dad 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 your mom and i are having a conversation as as he says that he says, Art's throwing garbage all over the street. Your mom and I have a conversation. What? And then, like, <laughs> running out the door to go and join them. Um, and so there's there's nobody. Long story short, there's nobody. There's nothing there. Not a finger, not a nose, nothing. Um, and they've poured garbage all over the street. So when I said, the house, the, the, the environment changes. So you can't. They have a giant pile of garbage that stays in the street for the rest of the, of the rest of the movie. So, um, so you can't shoot anything out of order because then you have to like go in and replace the garbage every time it will be a nightmare. Um, uh, so, so that, so they, they, he said, no, nah, no, no, they were, they were digging. They were, it's fine. They're probably fishermen. You know, they're digging for nightcrawlers. They, they need bait. Like, no, obviously what the, happened was the kids saw us. He came out when we were asleep and he took the body out of the garbage can and then they buried him in the backyard. 
Uh, and that's when the, <laughs> the garbage men get the hell out because who knows what the hell's going on. And this is where we find out that Walter's missing because uh, Bonnie finds Queenie. Um, uh, you're dirty and you're shaking. I wonder if Walter knows you're outside. So uh, the, the house is locked. They can't get in. But why is Queenie outside? That's weird. Um, so they they go in um, because Mark has broke cut a hole in the thing so they can get in. A soldier's way saves the day. Um, and right. they, they they find that Walter's not there. But uh, Bonnie finds thinks it's a rat. Finds his toupee on top of the stove. And I love the way that like that Brewster rationalizes this. You know, one thing about these old guys. They don't ever leave the house without their hair. No, sir. Walter left this house in a big hurry. And just the way he <laughs> puts it all together in his mind. Um, and uh, and then they there's a uh, comedy. And then they all leave because they broke a plate of cookies. And like, let's not break any more laws or plates of cookies. So um, uh, with this great scene, we're like, Queenie's there on her leash, and and Ray is writing a note like, uh, Walter, uh, your window is broken, and uh, and uh, some and something else, and blah blah blah, uh, because we all thought that and he crumples that up. Because <laughs> how do you explain this? And then he just writes, Walter, I have your dog, Ray. It's a fantastic little device, but also the fact that that joke comes up at the end of the movie. Yes. Um, uh, but, uh, so, so then he sees, he slips the note and the toupee back in through the mail slot. And that's when he notices an old man at the top of the, uh, the top room of, of the, of the Klopek's house looking at him. It's like, hello, uh, Mr. Klopek, Mr. Klopek, hi, hey, Peterson, I just wanted to know. And the guy goes back and says, um, so, um, <sighs> oh, this is right. Cause this is, that's, that's the second day. And then there's the third day happened this second day oh this is this is crazy for me because I, I watched this five times um <laughs> like five times in a week uh and i because like it's very important the way that the whole thing is laid out um because they don't go oh, meet like, them yet right no, no, like... no, they, don't, they don't they don't do that um uh yes that that's that yeah um okay uh that's the second. That's the second day, and then there's the third day. I forget what happens for the rest of. The, oh, that's it. Um, hey, um, uh, what? Where's your dad? I think he's in the basement with Art. They're playing canasta or something, but they're not playing canasta. Art has this book of like. Now you have to know. In the mid '80s, there was what they call the Satanic Panic in the, in the United States, where there were all these things all over the the country. Anecdotal ideas of like these Satanists who were having witches cults and they were kidnapping children, sacrificing them to the devil. This was a thing most people believed. I mean, now you have people who believe that there are litter boxes in schools and kids who define themselves as cats are using them in the classroom. Honestly, people have believed some crazy shit in this country it's for true. a long time. Just change the, the shit changes, but the crazy people don't. Um, so uh, anyway, um, this is the great scene where where rage is trying to like put all this thing all this thing and he eventually because because art's bombarding him with all the stuff about satanists so he puts his fingers in his ears and does this thing i was like 
I'm not going to listen to this. <laughs> I'm not going to hear this now. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to hear this now. And it keeps doing that. It's like, it's like Art, Art's saying, hey, Ray, Ray, you're chanting. You're chanting. Unconscious chanting. Look, this, this is what you're doing, man. You're like, I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Hey, hey, Ray, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Love it. Um, and uh, the, then that night, um, Ray is watching on TV as his wife is looking through the Satanist book. And she's like, so the Klopeks have offered up Walter to Satan as some kind of human sacrifice? Is that is that the idea? That's one of the current theories, yes. <laughs> he, like, Ray knows it's all bullshit, too. But I just love it. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And um, and he and so he watches. He's like she's going to the bathroom. He watches more and more scary stuff, which I'm sure you fast forwarded through. Um, and, no, I was very brave. I was very proud of myself. Good for you. Um, uh, but he has uh, a nightmare, a dream sequence. Um, so great. So so good. So silent. So he's like right before we see like Art trying to get in his head or whatever, and then he's watching. It's what the Exorcist uh -huh. and what were some, the other movie, uh, some some obscure movie where, where there's a ritual sacrifice by Satan. Yes, yeah, and it's like three. He changes uh, the channel. It's horror then, movie after horror. Oh, yeah, movie. and it's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the last one. Um, um. So uh, he there's this great. It starts with him waking up, completely face buried in his pillow, which is a great choice, and he. If his wife's there, his wife's not there, and he reaches back around to see, and he fingers the pages of the Satanist book, and he comes to, looks around, where's his wife? Carol, where are you, Carol? And he uh, is uh, going going down the stairs. Uh, a, a chainsaw comes through the wall and cuts the big photo of the family in half, so that his half of the of his half of the picture falls away. So we're cutting him apart from his, his reaction in it is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably it's perfect. Um, he gets uh, uh, he gets pulled uh, onto a, a a giant barbecue pit and there, uh, as as you see, um, a very dreamlike sequence of his wife in a negligee backlit up at the top of the staircase saying, "Ray." He was so nice of you to invite the neighbors over for a barbecue. Um, and, uh, and there's this, we get uh, Walter a holding Queenie standing in a garbage can with a, with a little, like a battle axe that is like embedded in his head. And another tiny oh, battle axe is embedded in the dog's head. And he says, oh, Ray Peterson, whatever you do. Don't let them do to you what they did to me. And then Dick Miller, the barbish man, walks up and goes, hey, I bet that hurts, huh? And, uh, and then uh, Art, obviously Art, dressed as Skip, the ice pick murderer, shows up. He's like, hey, uh, uh, hey, hey, everybody, who the heck are the blood shake? Hey, hey, it's not, it's not Skip, it's just me, Art. I'm just pretending to be Skip. Uh, and, uh, and then... Um, <laughs> There, the then he's he's ritually sacked. Mind your own business. As somebody tries to stab him, he says, "Okay," and they fade out of the dream sequence into <laughs> the opening of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. 
which is just such a perfect contrast. And he's sitting there. He's obviously just completely like he had the worst night's sleep of his life. And he's drinking a glass of orange juice and he's trying to flip through the channels, but the channels won't work. He's absentmindedly singing under his breath. Like, won't you be my neighbor? And, and, and then uh, he goes out to sit on, sit on the little balcony. And that's when Art and Mark come up and say, hey, Ray, come on. Come on outside. Come on. Like, and then Carrie Fisher walks out. I love the sequence where she says, no, 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 no. My, sorry. My, my, my husband uh, cannot come out and play. Sorry about that. Uh, it's like, oh, no, he was bad. Come on, Carol. Let him come out. He can't come out until he resembles <laughs> the man that I married. And says, no, we don't have that kind of time, which is just what a wonderful back-to-back -back lines. Um, and uh, I think that I have given you my answer. Um, and so they go, just the two of them, uh, Art and Mark, they go over to um, the house. They go around to the side door and they slip a note under the door. And they ring the doorbell and they run away. It's great. Again, just like children. Just like children. Um, uh, oh, like, okay. Hey, do it. Ring the doorbell. Do what? We agreed to do it together. So they, they put their fingers together and they both touch at the same time. So great. Uh, Ray, laying in a chaise lounge in the backyard. Nice of course. Uh, and Art runs up to, hey, Ray, Ray, wake up. I'm only, I'm only lying here. I'm only trying to take a nap. I'm only lying here with my eyes closed, trying to get some goddamn sleep. It's just, <laughs> something about Tom Hanks exasperated that will never not be funny to me. The best. Uh, they'll never be funny to me. Never not be funny. There we go. Um, uh, uh, so, so, hey, hey, so um, me me and Rumsfeld, uh, we wrote a note. We slipped under the door. We rang the bell, and then we ran. You did that? Yeah. And he flips out. It's like, they're going to think that I did it because the old guy saw me write a note and put it under Walter's door. So now they're going to think that I did it. It's like, you did that? Oh, okay. Well, that, that doesn't matter. You got to give these people a little goose every now and then. Let them know that you're there. Now they know that we know that they know that we know. It does matter because they're going to suspect me. And the whole time, Vince, they have a dog, Vince, uh, kind of a sheepdoggy type of looking dog. Um, I've been digging under the under the fence, and he's uh, playing fetch with Art absentmindedly until Art realizes what he's playing fetch with. What, Ray? Do you know what this is? It's a bone. It's a femur. It's a femur bone. A femur just happens to be human thigh bone, Ray. How do you know that? Biology one hundred and one. I mean, look at the size of this thing. You think it's came off a chicken or something? I love that one. Um, he's like, where did Vince get this? He dug it up from under the fence. God, I love this scene so much. And they just so start, start slowly walking over to the fence together, just completely right next to each other. It's like, Ray, Ray's no, there's, there's no doubt anymore. This is real. Your neighbors are murdering people. They're chopping them up. They're burying their backyard. Ray, this is Walter. And they just scream as there's the, the zoom thing where it's just like this so it's just so great. It's um, like a super zoom in and out while they're screaming, oh and then the zoom stops, but they keep screaming, which somehow just makes it even better. Like oh just God. the best. And then you see a shadow on the other side of the fence walking over there, and then a little crumpled piece of paper flies over the fence and lands in Ray's backyard. Um and immediately they both know what's happened. 
but Art's trying to convince him this is not what's happened. And Ray is backing up towards his house as Art is like, okay. Um, no, it's just probably just a credit card receipt. He's the guy's a litter book. Could be anything. No, oh no, it's my note. <laughs> like, no, it's just my note. Uh, and uh, Ray turns and runs around and gets smashed in the face by the screen door as Carol is walking out and immediately takes two these two empty cans of beer and crushes them and throws them on the floor because he's angry he got smashed in the face. And Carol says, oh, great, crush a beer can. You feel better now? And <laughs> Tom Hanks goes, hmm. <laughs> he's, he's got a bloody nose, so he's holding it like, eh, I feel a little better. This is so great. And so this is where Carol says, this is crazy, okay? Before somebody falls off a roof or lights themselves on fire, I say we all go over there, introduce ourselves, have a nice neighborly chat the way we should have done a month ago. Um, and uh, Bonnie says she'll make brownies. Uh, and Art says, hey, that's great. Well, you keep busy. You're not invited. So they, they walk over there, all of them together. Um, uh, <laughs> Mark Rumsfeld carrying the brownies goes through another hole in the porch. The brownies go everywhere, and there's There Go the Goddamn Brownies. Is a shirt <laughs> you can buy in 17 different designs all over the web. There Go the Goddamn Brownies is one of the, the lines that is stuck in the Pantheon, which I love. Um, and so uh, ha, the, the, the kid op opens the door. It's like, hello, it's uh, Carol Peterson from next door. Can we come in? And so everyone goes in. There you go, Sonny. A little something for the old sweet tooth. So perfect. All this is perfect. And the inside of the house is just, it's like a, from a different time. It's just, it's, and, a, it's all dusty and everything, but it feels like it's it's 1925 in the house. A hundred percent. It's the candelabras and mm -hmm. also the casting here equally as great as the rest of the mains. Like oh my God. Brother Theodore, like even just as a name is fantastic and hilarious. Um, everybody... Everybody just like they don't fit together, but they do. Like they're not like rednecks. No, and they're no, not no. rich, but they give that like haunted mansion-y vibe. Oh, like oh, it's yeah. just such a funny, you know, fantastic collection. The other thing that's so great, it's so perfect, is that it is that same uh there's there's uh, there's there's a, a touch of of intentional xenophobia that is that is that is important, like like what you think as the audience about these people upon first meeting them is what they think. And that's probably part of the problem. It's a very interesting little thing. So, um, Hey, I didn't catch your name there. Sonny. Hans, Hans, uh, like, Oh, very fine Christian name. Hans Christian Anderson. What are you a Catholic? I, I do not, not that, that no. Um, there, there's, he knocks this frame off, off of the table and they pick it up. It's like a pretty girl, a friend of yours. No, it came with the frame which is great. Why do you have a, whatever? Um, <laughs> and so they open a window and, and then we meet brother Theodore. He's my uncle Ruben and this little man with a round face and just, just perpetually grimacing uh, just walks over to Ray Peterson immediately and says, you are the one who lives next door. It's just, it's just great. Um, uh, the timing all, is unbelievable. Let's all sit down and have a chat. Um, let's all make some coffee. And so out comes uh, Hans um, with a bowl of pretzels and a tin of sardines. Is the refreshments they have? Uh, sardine. And Bonnie says, I'm trying to cut back. 
<laughs> which is great. So funny. And, and Carol just takes one pretzel and goes over to Ray and offers him sardine. And he looks over at Carol and says, and so he's the one who's got to eat the sardine. Right. And he's kind of like also not making eye contact. Nope. He knows. Like it's it's such a perfectly awkward scene. And one thing that I loved about this movie is at no point are there elements of anything being supernatural. Nope. But it's no. also not slasher gory. Mm -mm. So it's just mostly suspense. And what's fun about there being no supernatural involved to me is like they actually get to meet. Like they're actually sitting and having a conversation in the same room. Right. And like there's weird things happening, but without a supernatural element, you're not like, oh, something weird is going to whatever. Like, you just get to sit and watch them be awkward the, in this, like, fantastic, fantastic, charming little scene. The tension is just so high, um, all this thing. Uh, and then um, uh, he, he takes he just the, the most agonizing bite of food ever committed to film. Is him <laughs> so forcing good. this pretzel with a sardine on it into his mouth. It's so great. Um, and then uh, it's, a, it's a nice home. Yeah. Uh, good solid walls. Knocks on the wall. Good solid floors, says Marcus. He stomps on the floor. And you hear from the floor, up from beneath, tap, tap, tap. Hey. Got somebody tied up in the old cellar. Have you, Rube? Uh, which I love that he calls Ruben Rube. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then that's when... When out of nowhere, Tom Hanks just starts to just cough or sneeze or or upchuck all of the stuff that he's just eaten. He has to like take a, a thing of newspaper from one of these packing boxes. <laughs> so and good. Spit the whole thing in there. It's like, oh, it's like packing dust. Sorry. Um uh so this is where where we meet um uh like well, let's go let's go look in the basement. Um and uh uh, uh oh this is like um um uh uh this is, this is uh, uh, so it's just you and you and uncle live in the house there, Sonny. No, no, no. This is a small family. Uh, the young boy, myself, and my brother, the doctor. And and then Bonnie says, "Wouldn't it be nice to have a doctor in the neighborhood?" And at thirsty he, he Ruben looks at her like she's got like eight heads, and and then we hear cuckoo. Cuckoo from the clock on the wall, which is a wonderful little sound effect they use there. Uh, and and then uh, up comes you hear him walking up the stairs. My brother, the doctor. Um, and uh, and it's Henry Gibson, who could not be less threatening of a person. He is tiny. He is soft spoken. He's a he's a very sweet man. Um, it's like hello, Verna Klopek. How nice to meet you. Oh, pardon my glove, which is covered in paint, but what looks like blood. And uh, the the scene of that too is fantastic. Like from a from an angle perspective, you see them shake hands and then you just see yeah, mm -hmm. this sea of red, which mm -hmm. is so much fun. It's so good. Um cut to a little later, uh, as they like, I thought the candles would be romantic for the ladies. And then he steps aside and there's a centerpiece that is on fire. Like it's 75 candles, like one quarter inch from each other, and this giant flames in the middle of the uh of the thing. Um, they're talking about all this stuff like uh, um I'm afraid my work is rather solitary. It always keeps us on the move. Uh in fact, tomorrow, tomorrow we must all go to the university to discuss yet another transfer. Um 
oh, isn't that a shame? We're just we're just getting to know you. Ray, isn't that a shame? That that that's a shame. <laughs> Mark, just Mark, devastated. And then Mark says, says who? <laughs> it's not a shame at all. Um, <laughs> so eventually Mark starts losing his cool with this whole thing. Um uh there's a point where he uh accidentally dumps his coffee all over his lap uh and <laughs> trying to like sop it up with something. Um Mark is like, what do you got? What's this? What's this? Let's just couple this stuff, polite crap. What's the what's the weird goddamn noise you got coming out of here at all hours? What do you got in the cellar hair, Klopek? And uh Ray, tell him you saw him digging, tell him what you saw. And Ray, I gotta use your bathroom. And he just wants to get away from this boy. <laughs> he opens the door, um, and uh he's immediately knocked over by this giant thing that comes up out of the basement. He thinks it's the bathroom. But it's the basement, um, and it's it's a it's a Great Dane, the biggest Great Dane you've ever seen. I should mention, Art has found a way to climb over the fence, and he's in the backyard. He's commandoed himself out in all black clothing and shoe polish on his face in weird like commando lines, uh, and he's trying to figure out what. Oh, this is a great scene where he falls off the ladder going over, um, and you just hear because uh, Ricky Butler's there. Did you make it? <laughs> which is great it's like i'm fine just throw me over the tools and they throw over the tools and it obviously hits him in the back of the head which is just great um but he's back there and the dog knows he's back there so the dog chases him through the backyard and mark says to the to the doctor you keep a horse in the basement which is another great line this thing's full of him he climbs over the fence but knocks a tripwire which everything goes crazy um, and there's uh, lights that come on back. This they've been they've been there a month. They haven't done anything with their yard, but they've installed like a like a full on alarm system that you would find like on a military base. Um, and uh, anyway, so it's our it's like another neighbor, a fat one. And uh, uh, oh, I can't remember. I have to say this one this one brother three door line where he says, uh, you know, I I um. I don't remember ever seeing a moving truck out front. That, that's that's weird, right? I don't understand that it was parked outside all day. Like, just Brother Theodore is just so angry about everything. Um, his timing is just so unbelievable and his lie delivery. Like, it's it's perfect. It's perfectly um, cast. Uh, he, uh, anyway, so... Um, Especially for how late we actually meet them right. in the movie, right. like they kind of have to be spot on, otherwise, it's right. you don't get a the payoff that you right. want. They, um, they, uh, th we see them all saying their goodbyes. I'm sorry, everything went so bad. We're sorry. We'd, we'd love to meet you, uh, whatever. And the last person to come out and say goodbye on the back porch is Ray. He says, Doc, it's been real. Let's do this again sometime, real soon. Thanks. And they leave. Uh, the next thing we see is them arguing about whether or not they're psychos. Uh, and Ray's just sitting on the on the steps. I love the way his head is framed in the shot between the two posts of the banister, like it's perfectly shot that way. Um, so hey, hey, what do you think, Ray? You're the deciding vote here. What's going on? No, I think they're clean. I think Bonnie and Carol are right. Um, uh, they did another big argument starts. Like, hey, Carol. You and Bonnie, excuse us. I want to talk to the boys alone in the den, okay? Um, and this is like one of my favorite like scenes in all of movies. Is just the way that they 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 introduce um, Tom Hanks 
turning to the dark side, which yeah. is just so, so good because he's so, so perfect at playing it. Um, he says, what are you, what are you totally pussy whipped? Take your balls out of your wife's purse for once <laughs> in your life. And he reaches up into his shorts and he's like, hey, take, this is a, fig, this is a figure of speech, Ray. And he pulls out toupee. He says, that's Walter's rug. Yeah. Where, after you found this in Walter's house, I slipped it back in through the mail slot. And what'd you get it this time? And he does this thing. <laughs> he doesn't actually say it. He points with his chin to where the clopecs are. Uh, he says, um, uh, I found it wedged between a bunch of magazines when the dog came up out of the basement. All those magazines, I might add, were addressed to Walter. That means the clopecs went back inside the house and got the hair. What do we do now, soldier? Like Mark Brewster is just killing it in this in this part. Uh, and and uh, and and Ray, this 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 little he's like, you heard him say they're going away tomorrow. As soon as that car leaves in the morning, I'm going over that fence, and I'm not coming back until I find a dead body. Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets through <laughs> with it. <laughs> it's just he just completely turns 180. And and he's the most gung ho about like this whole operation. Uh, now, um, the next day, he has this really well underplayed scene about how like, hey, why don't you go visit your sister? Take Dave to see his cousins. I mean, listen, I'm gonna be gone all day. I'm gonna be I'm gonna playing golf with Art. So you, you guys, you guys gone. It'd be perfect time for you to go see your sister. Why do I get the feeling you're trying to get rid of me? Um, listen, no, no, it's fine. Just go. It's, it'll be okay. Um, and, uh, and then Art comes out in the most ridiculous golfing outfit ever with a club and he's going, Hey, Hey Carol, you see my new golf club, uh, golf glove. I got it. So I don't get blisters playing golf. We're going to be playing that much golf really as, as Carol pulls away. And then she's like, you think she bought it? Well, she bought Ray's, but I don't think she bought Art's thing. No, not um, at all. Um, and they have this whole this whole situation that they're all set up for, where they have to cut the wires of the, on, on the telephone pole to make sure the alarm doesn't go off. So they send Art up there, who's fully decked out in like a, a lineman costume, like somebody who would be a guy who works the power company. Um, and uh, you hit the wrong wire up there, Art. You're a post toasty. You can't do this. Uh, it goes all the way up there, uh, and and they're watching him as he's as he's up there. Um, uh, and um, and Bruce Stern says, I don't know that he knows what he's doing. Um, I should mention, Bruce Dern is fully decked out as like a Green Beret. Like he's got yes. full camo, everything. Wearing an actual Green Beret. He's got his gun. He's got a, a like a huge uh, military walkie-talkie. Um, says, uh, why didn't you go up there? If he doesn't know what he's doing, why don't you go up there, Mark? And Mark looks up there and goes, well, it's very high. And and Tom Hanks looks at him like, look at you. Look at you, commando. What are you doing? It's very high. I just love the, the reaction of Tom Hanks there. It's so good. So Art snips the wire, gets electrocuted, falls off through a shed out there. Um, uh, he's completely, uh, he's, he's okay somehow. Uh, but he's, his fingernails are black. Uh, his, the, his fillings are hot, all that stuff. Of course. So Ray and Art go over, and Mark is manning the lookout, Eagle Eye, on the top of his roof to watch everything. Meanwhile, 
uh, Corey Feldman has invited everyone over for a party <laughs> to watch whatever the hell happens today. So um, Art and uh, Art and um, and uh, and and Ray start digging in the backyard because that's obviously where they buried him. And so time is obviously passed, right? Um, uh, people are showing up at Ricky's for the party. Uh, Mark Rumsfeld is up there eating animal crackers out of the little box that looks like a train car, which is so, so great. Um, and uh, and so um, they uh, they can't find anything in the basement, so they're gonna they can't find anything in the backyard. It's been hours looking. It's really hot back there. Let's go inside. So they find a way to break into the back dark back door because using a credit card apparently doesn't actually work to break into the back. You can't you can't you can't pick a lock with a credit card. So they smash it and they go down there. The 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 atmosphere of of the basement is just so perfect. Like the, there's just there's cobwebs and rats and every it's just great. And um and they come out and they see this furnace. It's a giant furnace. It's um, not a regular furnace. No, no, no. Uh, like they got the whole thing wired with batteries. There's new conduit that's going up through the house. Um, the, the thermostat on a regular home furnace. Is that supposed to go to five thousand degrees? You think? And this is where my brain, because I'm over overly analytical and I try and find like the reality of all this stuff. I always feel like maybe the Clopex picked this house because they knew that at one point in the past. It was a mortuary, and it had a, a crematorium furnace in the basement, which is why they needed it for the work that they do. That's why they picked this house. Um, and uh, my uh, grade went to you should have called the cops instead of breaking well, my house. No, 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 no. That's that's also correct. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there, oh, there's a wonderful uh, part earlier is like uh, where where Carol in the when they were all in the in the living room together, she says. Um, I think it's wonderful you've been able to stay with the original wood. I was never over here when the Naps lived here. And Brother Theodore's Brother Theodore says, "How unfortunate for the Naps." <laughs> it's just so, so good, so, so good. So, so this is the yeah the Naps house anyway. Um, uh, they they start up the furnace, and it just belches a giant flame out of out of the furnace. And then Ray Ray Peterson, Tom Hanks, steps forward and the camera pushes in on his face as he goes, This is no ordinary furnace. Oh. With, the, with, the, with, with the with the with the like the gravitas. This is no ordinary furnace. And they start um digging up the basement. Um and uh and so um this is where everything's we, we see because uh Rumsfield at one point um uh the, the the sniper rifle that he has has slipped down the, the down the 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 slope of of the of the roof so he goes and tries and gets it but he but he gets startled when uh Corey Feldman goes yo Rumsfield so he slips and falls all the way off his roof and lands on his tailbone I don't know how he's not dead um but because he's recovering from that he's not on the roof when the clopex come home they pull up and see that there's some crazy shit going on in the basement they know is wrong and they know everything else is crazy and so they turn off the lights of their and they back up i should mention all the clopex went and they took the dog with them so very important the dog's not there um yes. so, so anyway there's that thing and then he's back up on top of the house right this is when um uh 
they hit something metal with their uh, Ray does with the pickaxe in the basement. Five and a half feet down in this this little thing that they're digging, they hit something in this bunch of sludge and hit metal. You, they buried him in a crypt. Um, we found Walter Eagle Eye. This is Task Force One. We found Walter, and uh, and this is uh, where Rumsfeld so, uh, is, is is saying, "Oh, we caught you, whoop." Um, but then coming up the, the street, parking in Walter's driveway, is the station wagon. Out of the station wagon gets Walter. He's being helped into his house. Got a walker by by uh, by a woman and her husband. Um, and uh, this is where uh, Rumsfeld's like Raymond, Raymond, we got a big problem. Guess who's not in the basement? Walter, he's back, but he can't hear that because he's just been shoveling mud on top of the uh, of the walkie-talkie, right? Um, this is where uh, um, uh, the Clopex come back and they've just brought a squad car with them. Like, apparently you can go and retrieve a squad car from the police station. They'll just follow you. Uh, that's how you do that. Um, nobody had a cell phone. You couldn't call the cops. You just say whatever. Um, so uh, that's when Mark Rumfield sees that. The Clopex with coppers. Corey Feldman sees him. This is where the whole thing starts to go crazy. Art's, Art is up there. Art sees that it's Walter. Holy crap. Um, he sees the Clopex. He says to Ricky, stall him. And, he, and, and so he tries to stall the Clopex, but they drive around him. Ricky throws himself on the hood of the, of the cop car and says, God bless him. He says, says, officer, officer, you got to help me. There are all these people. They're in my parents' house and they're eating all their food, which is not an untrue statement. I would hold up under a light. That's a very good point. Um, and uh, so uh, Art runs down the stairs to say that Walter's back and the Klopex are here and they brought the cops. But just as, as they're doing that, Ray with the pickaxe hits the gas line. It starts bubbling up. You can smell it. I hit I hit the gas line, Art. There's all kinds of gas. It's gonna blow. Run, run, as he tries to pull himself out of there. Um, there's an argument going on upstairs. Everyone's trying to figure out what the hell is with the cops are here. Art runs up the we hit a pipe. There's all kinds of gas, it's gonna blow. The whole house just <laughs> earlier in the movie. In Art. a scene that would inspire Michael Bay for decades. Oh, so, so true. Uh, <laughs> Art, Art says, uh, no, I never talked to the Clopex, but I did talk to the real estate broad that sold in the place. Apparently, their last house, it only burnt to the ground. A hideous, raging inferno. So, apparently, they like they they, they have problems with their furnaces. Um, uh, so, anyway, everyone is, oh, my God. what's uh, th There's a second explosion, which sends the lightning rod at the top of the house straight up in the air, and it comes down pff, right through the engine block. Of the cop car. Um, uh, everyone's very sad about all this stuff, but nobody's more sad than Art, who's like, oh my God, Ray's dead. And then uh, you have, I love that they gave it this line to Bonnie. Something is moving in there. And then like the house is completely just on fire. And st stumbling through the, the wreckage, completely just torched in everywhere um, is Ray. Who stumbles down the front steps and when he gets five feet in front of the front porch the whole front porch collapses it's a brilliant image it's so funny that, that he barely made it out of that whole thing and art's like hey you found it right you had to have found it before everything blew tell me you found it um 
and uh, so obviously they're in big trouble. Um, and this is this is where we we we, uh, we cut to. Um, every everything is there because Carol is coming home now. She was not she was supposed to be gone all weekend. This is Thursday. This is the fourth day. First day was Monday. This is Thursday. She's supposed to be gone all weekend. So she did not come back with Dave. She left Dave at her parent at, at her sister's house with her with her cousins with his cousins. But she's brought both dogs back, Queenie and Vince, and she's there. She's like, "What the hell is this?" So I'm not sure why she comes back early. I don't know if she came back early because she knew Ray was up to something, or if she was wanting to like have some alone time with her husband, or what. But she's back early. She's not supposed to be back. Um, she's able to get in uh, to this place, sneak under past the cops because Ricky Butler runs interference for her. Uh, the cops aren't allowed, aren't letting anybody in. Um, and she's able to find, Ray, oh my God, Ray, look what they've done to you. His entire head is bashed up. His eye is all closed off. Uh, he's got a broken finger. Um, and he's sitting there uh, and he's being uh, yelled at. He's, oh, she immediately says, hey, you cut your hair. I like it. Like he's completely out of it. But she did cut her hair. You know, you know here's, the, here's the thing. Um, the entire shoot up until this scene, Carrie Fisher was wearing a wig over this haircut because she does get it cut like cut several inches off, off the back. It's a short haircut, but she gets it even cut shorter. So they were wearing a wig the whole time. Uh, up until this point, and no one understood why she was wearing a wig because her real hair looked kind of like the hair. But again, that was because of the whole thing of "Hey, you cut your hair," which I love that there was a, a, a reason for that. But she always, every time somebody would yell "cut," like there was a problem, she goes, "Is it my wig? It's my wig, isn't it?" Like that was how she made everybody laugh. Um, but there's this great scene where Rance Howard, who played the old man in Spooky Buddies, <gasps> who was actually Ron Howard's father who always gets his his dad and his brother roles in the movies that he produces. Um, is, is, Did is, Ron is, Howard produce Spooky Buddies? No, but he's he's, always, he's, an, he's an actor who's been in stuff too. But like he, all, he always winds up being in Ron Howard's movies. Um, also, I think Ron Howard can pull some strings with anybody and get his dad a role anywhere. It just feels like Spooky Buddies is a weird choice for the like... <laughs> I mean, he's, for someone I, as hey, skilled as the he, Howards, he, he's a working actor. He's got to, he got to, you got to eat. So, um, he, uh, he, um, he's running down the litany of all these charges that Ray Peterson faces: harassment, assault, vandalism, breaking and entering, and that poor old man claims he's got a ransom note that says you kidnapped his dog. What should we do when you think back? Walter, I have your dog. Your dog. It, is, it is such a fantastic, oh, wait a minute, that's hilarious joke. And I, I, I can't believe it. Um, and this is when Ray turns to his wife again and says, I really do like your hair, honey. He has no cons. He's, he's got a concussion. Uh, it's bad. Um, uh, there's another detective there who's running through everything for Art, who still doesn't, who still believes there's got to be a, a, a body buried body buried in there. It's like, um, what happened? The old man. What the hell was that? Where, where was he? Um, uh, he had a, he had some heart palpitations on Monday night. Called his wife and his son-in-law. Took him to the hospital for evaluation. He just got out tonight. Uh, but what about his wig? The, the wig. What, why did they have a wig? The Clopex were picking up his mail for him. Apparently, they got the wig mixed up with the uh, newspapers and the letters. Um, like uh, 
You don't believe that guy's a real doctor, do Yes, I do. In fact, he's a very well-respected pathologist, my friend. And I say you are damn lucky you didn't kill him in that blast. I thank my lucky stars. Oh, this is just such, such great stuff. Um, hey, sorry about your car. He says the, to the officer who got his car skewered with the thing. It's so great. Um, so uh, this is where he walks over. And he keeps needling Ray about, hey, no, no, you tell him. No, I mean, obviously that femur's from somebody. They're going to find the rest skeleton that go with that femur. When they do, and this is where Tom Hanks launches into this whole diatribe. It's so so perfectly done. Um, where he tries to kill Art, tries to choke him, and they say, they pull him apart and says, remember what you were saying? They didn't do anything to us. Remember, remember, remember when you were saying about people like Skip, people in the burbs, people like Skip, who mow their lawn for the 800th time and then snap? It's not them. We're the ones. It's us. We're the ones who were vaulting over the fences and throwing garbage in the street and 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 peeking through people's windows. We're the lunatics. It's not them. It's us. Which is just like that's some introspective shit for the late eighties. Like you don't like you, you like. There's the Reagan years produced a lot of xenophobia in America that this country really hasn't gotten over. Um, but uh, yeah, just like to like straight up lay it bare. Which is which is awesome, um, uh, and the, I, the the a lot of the criticism this movie got was because the next thing that happens kind of reverses that on itself, but I think it has to because it, ultimately it's a comedy. What 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 Tom Hanks is saying in this in this diatribe is true in the macro, like it's true overall, but in this situation because this is a comedy, it can't be true. Because we need a resolution that's going to make us all smile. So, uh, after trying to kill Art again at the end of this whole thing, what do you want me to move? I'm going to kill you. Uh, he lays down on a gurney, says, take me to the hospital. I've been blown up. <laughs> and then he, he pushes the gurney back onto the ambulance yes. and then face plants on it in the most... Uh, so good. This, like, realistic recognition of oh i my whole life's over yeah. like i'm probably going to jail i definitely lost my job i probably lost my family because i let this paranoia get a hold of me the idea that he's like just take me to the hospital because what the fuck else do i have left is like so expertly done so expertly done um uh so he's he's like carol's like honey i'll just find out what hospital are taking me to and then I'll just follow right along, okay? <laughs> okay, Carol. <laughs> and and, and um, he's he's in there uh, uh, by himself in the ambulance um, and then uh, sliding into the ambulance uh, along with him is uh, is Dr. Klobeck. Uh, oh, hey, Dr. Klobeck, hi. I'm, I'm really sorry. You, you know, when I get out of prison, I'm going to help you rebuild your house. You know, I, I got the tools. My, my, my Carol's father just gave me a brand new set of tools. And like the fact that they did a callback of the tools thing from earlier, again, just so great. He says, um, uh, uh, do, you, do you think I am an idiot, Mr. Peterson? Uh, no. Do you, do you take me for an imbecile? No. You may have fooled the others, Mr. Peterson, but you don't fool me. I, I, I don't. No, you don't. <laughs> it's just so great. It's like, am I missing something, Mr. Peterson? 
Come now, Mr. Peterson, you were in my basement. Surely you looked in the furnace. Uh, I, I saw your furnace, Dr. Klobeck, but I figured a man's furnace is his own business. So um, uh, I let you keep the fever, Mr. Peterson. Oh, no, no, no. I know you saw my skulls, didn't you? Oh, yes, I know you did. I love this was so good. So, uh, uh, the name was Nap. We took the house from them. I offered to buy it, but you know how old people are. They grow so attached to things. <laughs> like their skulls. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, says, I, I let you keep the femur, but now I want my skull. Or perhaps I might just take yours. You got the biggest syringe you've ever seen in your life. Uh, Hans, and Hans is driving the, uh, um, the ambulance. And he tries to pull away as he and Ray are fi fighting in the back seat. Ray's trying to hold back the, the the syringe while reaching up through the little thing to grab uh, Hans and make him crash the car. Uh, but he crashes past the pizza dude because hey, it's the best part. I called the pizza dude. It was that There's point a where, big party where, where, where Brother Theodore comes? Uh, Ruben comes like, okay, hepcats, get off my car. Hey man, you gotta chill out with us. We got the pizza dude coming. It's great. Um, and uh, so that the, the, the ambulance eventually crashes through the front door, up the porch and through the front door of Art's house. Um, and out the back comes rolling the gurney, rolls up and crashes as he's still fighting with Dr. Klopek, crashes into the Klopek's car. The, the, the hood pops up and there's a blanket in the back. Uh, and there's a whole a citizen's arrest. I'm putting on a citizen's arrest for my attempted murder. You don't, you don't have anything for citizen arrest. You don't have any evidence at all, says the cop. Um, and uh, and then Corey Feldman standing back there, lifts up the, the, the blanket and says, you do now. you got some evidence now. Pulls the blanket back, and it's just skulls. Just wall-to-wall -wall skulls and femurs. The only two bones available. Not, not ribs, not a scapula, <laughs> not an ulna, not a radius. Femurs and skulls. Like enough for like they've murdered several dozen people yes. in the back in the back of this car, just sitting in the trunk. Um, and uh, the executive says, "Is this your vehicle, Doctor Klopik?" And he goes, mm. "Like it's just yes." I mean, what am I supposed to say? No, uh, it's great. Uh, and that's this is what I love is that that's basically the end of it. We have this this uh, uh, art doing a doing a, a man on the street. Uh, newscaster spot you tell them we're out to get them done we're out to we're not content to just wax our cars mow our lawns paint our houses anymore suburbanites do not mess with us we are out to get them um and it's just uh it's just uh, ray and and carol meeting there uh and they're um they're they're walking together like uh I, what do you want to do now honey i'll pack a bag to go up to the lake bruce Dern walks by we got him neighbor get away from him uh, just, just relax. And then Art walks up. Hey, man, that was a hell of a chokehold you put on me. Uh, great job. Hey, um, so what are we going to do? You guys want to go down to Bolorama, get a few beers? <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like, Tom Hanks is completely still bandaged up. His entire face looks like a woman. It's so great. Um, and he was about to be arrested or taken to the hospital or both. Now he just walks up the front steps of his, of his house. Um, so they walk past and they leave art there. It's like, 
What are you talking about going on vacation? Geraldo Rivera's coming. He's going to excavate the basement of the Colopex. It's going to be broadcast all via satellite all over the world live. And then you hear Bonnie, Art, your wife is home. And Bruce Dern says, and your house is on fire because the ambulance has crashed into the house. It's on fire. And then you see his wife standing there with two suitcases going, Art, where are you? So he says, Art, your wife is home and your house is on fire. Art looks over there and goes, my wife is home, which is great because his house being on fire. Obviously the least important thing of all of this, which is great. And then one of my all-time favorite, like, little wrap-up, sweet, kind of a very cute little scenes um, is, is where uh, Corey Feldman walks up and is like, hey, Mr. Peterson, where are you going? She's, she's about to get good. Gonna go away for a little while, rookie. I want you to keep an eye on the neighborhood for me. You betcha, Mr. Peterson. And then, with the only eye that we can see because the other one is covered by gauze, he winks and he walks up the front steps with his wife and uh, Corey Feldman breaks the fourth wall, looks directly in the camera and says, God, I love this street. Walks back up the street as everything's going crazy. And then a cut to over the top shot as everything's going crazy. And the camera pulls up, pulls up and keeps going. So you see the entire globe and it spins around and it's like a complete full circle. Um, I, I can't say enough. Like, honestly, it's one of those things where uh, even if it wasn't my favorite movie, I would I would recommend it to literally everyone. It's just so much fun. So I do feel like... Okay, so please, one please, thing... Talk, 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 talk me down from my pedestal. No, I just... Okay, so one thing that I read was that the original ending was supposed to be that Ray dies, which I thought was yeah. super interesting, that he really dies dark. in the back of the ambulance, and that when they open the ambulance, there's just seven, like several corpses just fully in the in the ambulance, which I thought was like, oh, that makes it a horror comedy into a horror they, movie. They, they refigured the ending several times, like a lot. They did not know what they were going to do with it. I don't think you kill off Tom Hanks. No. I feel like if you had Tom no. Hanks who hit when and they big, Tom Hanks, they knew they could no longer do that ending because you can't kill off Tom Hanks. That was that was what, yeah, they couldn't do it. There's just no way. I do feel like the critics have a really good point, and that this whole movie seems to be built around the idea that the suburbanites that are nosy and voyeurs looking into people's lives are the destructive ones uh -huh. and that the people that keep to themselves are actually the harmless ones and an important message of hey just because someone's appearances might seem a certain way doesn't mean necessarily what you're implying about them is accurate or paid off and then i i can buy that it's a swerve because it's a good one like when they're in the ambulance and he pulls out that syringe that's like a, a yeah. moment that evokes an emotion so i can buy that it's a sword but it felt like they built to this entire narrative that they just completely 180 from mm -hmm. toward the end of it but i think it still works like I don't, I don't think it doesn't work because of that where i feel like a lot of movies especially the ones that were like coming out around this time anything that tries like a swerve like that oftentimes yep. does not necessarily work um but I really liked this. Like, I thought this was, again, like, there was just, everything was justified in it. 
I feel like maybe something that didn't come across in the review that I felt like was true watching it was you see Tom Hanks descent into madness a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like a switch. There's a moment where mm -hmm. it like peaks, but like when Art has his ear and is talking to him about satanic rituals and the horror movies, like Tom Hanks takes you on the journey of somebody that is like descending here, which I think is really, really well done. Uh, this is far superior than a lot of the things that came out around the mm -hmm. same time period that we've watched that are in the same vein. So much of it is the acting performances. I just can't say enough for yeah. uh, how well this this was casted. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, they didn't know what the evidence was going to be. They 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 reshot the reveal of the the pull away of the blanket because it, it's it's an inset shot. You don't see anything. You can't. Nobody. There's not a shot where you see. The people reacting and the skulls at the same time. It's just the skulls. So that was shot months after filming. That Interesting. One, they did not okay. know what they were going to do. Um, uh, the first was, I don't know, I don't know why this was the first option they went with, was uh, dead cheerleaders. Like several dead cheerleaders. I don't know why. I guess because that's like the ultimate suburban the, the, thing, yeah, the, right? Like, like panic, panic would like like they're gonna kidnap your daughters, right? So like, but I think that doesn't really land in the same way. The other one they did, which I thought would have been really funny, and I, I, they filmed it. I do not know uh, if there's any footage of it that exists anywhere. Um, uh, the the garbage men. Uh, that would have been perfect. The the, the the two garbage men. Uh, are are have been murdered and they're in the back um, because um, yeah anyway and then this thing what they did they did later but um, on the uh, DVD I was talking about which is the collector's edition they have a work print copy that was um, then it was digitally taped off of the VHS a personal copy owned by Joe Dante the director of the work print of the film. Uh, that he was that they were working from when they were first doing the editing. It's a few minutes longer. Um, there are different scenes in it, like entirely different scenes. The way that they the way they get into Walter's house is entirely different. Um, they never actually go into the house in this version of the scene. A lot of different things with it. The, the ending is different as well. Um, it's the same basic idea, but everything that happens in the ambulance is a different script. Um, it's all it's very different, but it's really interesting to see. Also, none of the music is in it. Like it's whoa, it, there's music there, but it's not the music that Jerry Goldsmith did. It's just like placeholder stuff. So it completely changes watching it. It would be really interesting to watch that version, um, like remastered in a way that didn't look like it was because it looks like it's from a VHS copy from 30 years ago. It'd be interesting to see that remastered with the real music and see which was like, I mean, I think this one is perfect, but um, uh, like what people would think if they watched both. The other thing that's really interesting about this that, that I learned from this a documentary, for a long time while filming, Tom Hanks read the script and goes, there's not, there's not enough here for this guy. Who is this guy? I need to find out more about him. We need to make this guy into more of an actual character. Who is this guy? And he came up with the idea and Joe Dante liked it, but didn't love it. But he let him shoot a whole bunch of stuff around it. Was that he wasn't taking a vacation. He had been fired. 
And he, and I wondered if that was like a, that's such like a cool catalyst. There, there are takes that they shot where Tom Hanks is playing that he was fired secretly. Um, and there are takes that they shot after they had made the change and they knew they were no longer going to do it. So it's a, to Tom Hanks's credit. It never feels like he's playing two different guys. The guy who was fired and the guys who's on the vacation because this is who Ray Peterson is. He's, he's, he's right there. But there's this uh, great thing where in the very beginning, Art's like, what are you doing home? And, um, and Art, and Ray says to Art, I, I, um, I took the week off. Um, and the way that I always, because I never thought about him being fired. I took it at face value. The way I always took it was, if I tell Art that I'm home for the week, then he's going to be over here all the time asking me to do crazy stuff. I don't want to hang out with Art for a week. I want to be lazy. Um, so he has to tell him, even though he doesn't want to, as opposed to I'm lying to my friend, well, not my friend, my neighbor Art, uh, because my wife is also in the room. Like, I never thought of it in that way, but honestly, it works both ways. The ending that they actually shot um, that's in the Joe Dante work print um, you, there's a different ending of the movie where he says, Carol, I've been, I've been hiding something from you. I, something I need to tell you. Like, you got fired. Like, how did you know? That when you came home on Friday night, you have very particular body language. And that body language just said, no job. It's okay. I'll figure something out. I'm just happy you're alive, basically. And like, it was just really, it was interesting. Like, I, I ultimately think they made the right choice of not doing that because the thing about it all, always is that they said, Ray Peterson is the reluctant marshal in the old Western who knows he's got to deal with a criminal element in his town, but doesn't really want to because he's a little scared of what things might happen if he tries to, if he puts his foot down. So ultimately in those Westerns, he does what he needs to do to get the criminal element out of whatever little town he's a marshal of. And he gets to say at the end, you know, like he gets to have that moment of look after, uh, look after the town for me, deputy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, I, I got to see about a lady in the farmhouse down the valley or whatever. Like he gets to have that really cool triumphant moment. Cause that's what this is, is that it is a send up and an homage both to, old Hitchcock movies and old Sergio Leone Westerns. And somehow it is both in the perfect proportion. And to me, it just works. I kind of thought nothing feels out of whack in this movie at all, but I did feel like their bickering at points got a little bit aggressive, like as a couple. And so to me, I was like, oh, I wonder if we're going to find out that he got fired and is hiding it from her because it would also justify why he's kind of like psychologically vulnerable mm -hmm. to all of the other stuff. Because it seems very much like he knows better and then he doesn't. But mm -hmm. like it, it would kind of justify that, which is kind of where, where my head was at. But I don't think there's a wrong or a right choice. It's just interesting that Tom Hanks wanted to take the liberty to do that because it seems to me that sounds like he as an actor was looking for something uh -huh. to justify why that psychologically happened. That's really, really interesting because that, that was yeah. kicked around in my head when I watched that.
Yeah, I, I, I love it. And I, I think that there's, there's something about like the, the marriage is in a lot of ways like not hanging by a thread, but hanging by maybe three or four threads. You know what I mean? And and there's there's they something love each other, they don't always like each other. Like mm -hmm. that, but yeah. And there's something about it there that is um uh uh it's just it's very it's very um um it, it works because you can tell that they love each other so much, which is why they fight because they want each other to be this thing. Like he can't come out until he resembles the man that I married. You can tell that like she was desperately in love with the man that she married. And this guy has kind of become lazy yeah. and that's not who she married. And that's part of it. But also he's susceptible to weird suggestions from the crackpot guy next door. And, um, yeah. But so, at but, one point in the movie, she even says, like, well, you're smarter than those guys or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So which was like a nice little thing. Yeah. Um, that that's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, that's it. I can't so, say enough about all of the acting and it was impeccable, but Tom Hanks is just he's just one of the best actors in Hollywood ever. Like he's he's just so damn good at whatever he's given. And this he wasn't given a ton, but he he injected so much into it. It's so well done. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just literally playing on my, on my screen up here right now. And I'm watching him come out of the house as it's on fire. And I had forgotten that he doesn't actually walk down the three steps. He slides down them. Like his feet kind of slip off the top step yes. and they slip off the next step. And this, the way it's done is just so, he's so not good. like a physical comedy guy, but he is like very physical. I remember Apollo 13 is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when they finally, spoiler alert, they get home safe. Uh, <laughs> when they land and they're coming back to to Earth after they landed in the sea, like his performance of, hey, I haven't had gravity for however mm -hmm. long is like unbelievably real. Yeah. Things you wouldn't think about as a viewer, but he brings yeah. to life. You're just like, oh, damn. Mm -hmm. Like he's so, he's so good. He's yeah. so good. Um, he, he really is. And, and, uh, um, <laughs> there's, there's just, there's just so much that the thing about, uh, I always think of him as not a physical comedy actor, but he's like, he's, um, he's kinetic. Like he's always moving. Like everything about him is every, cause I think a physical comedy is like, I'm doing this, this to get a laugh because of the way I whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, like, like Jim not, Carrey or yeah, like a, he's, yeah. He's done, he never does anything to get a laugh everything is entirely rooted in the character that he is playing and 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 the character he always finds a way to to make the characters have that kind of kinetic energy about them because that's that's just who he is um, yeah his whole body is just that person yeah and whatever he's doing it's really it's really really good and this to me part of the reason this whole movie works is how grounded it is mm -hmm. and like i said the lack of there being a supernatural element to me was so important because my i think my favorite scenes are the ones where they actually go introduce themselves like a neighbor would and they're not being anything supernatural but something spooky up mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. like the saving grace of all that right i i think it's so good and it's it's success is rooted in how grounded the whole movie feels and in, in my opinion i think it's it's just so good and separates itself from a lot of like when we did transylvania six five thousand yeah the whole issue was that movie was it was trying to be a parody at the same mm -hmm. time as trying to be tell its own story. Yeah. This was the opposite of it. Yeah. 
met to yeah. me. Like this was just a story that got told that had comedic elements that had underlying horror elements right. that that works really, really, really well. Yeah. I uh so many callbacks and justifications oh, in it so too. Great. I I also just I love at the end, after the ambulance crashes and everybody's being arrested and everything see Hans sneak out the back of the ambulance and kind of look around. And he's he's dressed very nicely because they went to town to the university. And for him, dressed very nicely is a pair of lederhosen and a blazer <laughs> and this weird little hat. And uh, we see Bruce Dern see him trying to sneak away and he goes, hey, Pinocchio, where are you going? Which was apparently an ad lib in the moment by Bruce Dern that everyone loved and they kept in the movie. Um, but that has become uh, a thing that everyone remembers the movie for that line as well. Hey, Pinocchio, where are you going? Uh, and then he goes and he, and he, and he tackles him and he grabs him up and say, like, don't you make a move, Sonny. I was 18 months in the bush and I could snap your neck in a heartbeat. Like he just wants to go back to that time where he was in, in Southeast. I love the other thing in Southeast Asia. We'd call this type of thing, bad karma. Yeah. Like he's, he's, his character is so perfectly drawn and then perfectly played on top of it with the undercutting of, no, I, I don't want to go up there. It's very high. Like he's so masculine and everything, but he's actually not like, which is, he got those little moments of it where you see through the facade, which is part of the whole thing of this is everything yeah. looking one way on the surface and underneath it's something else. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of why it works to me. Yeah, it was great. I'm still surprised that you would call it your favorite movie of all time, but yeah. But a fan, but really, really, really I well done. Way ahead of its time. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't believe that I could say it's the best movie I've ever seen. But it but is one of my like favorite. favorite. Like just to, I'll I'll never watch it and go, and and be bored by it. I'll I'll find something new every time I watch mm -hmm. it. Uh, a, a a new line reading will spark me. Strike me as funny. Just like to, I I never thought about um how unfortunate for the naps. Uh, until yeah. until until this time watching it, and I was like, "That's just such a, just the way he he like, uh, <laughs> he's uh, like he's obviously making an insult, and the way it's written is supposed to be like an undercut, subtle insult, but not the way Brother Theodore says it. How unfortunate for the Neps is just so just hits you over the head with a hammer, and it works so well for his character. Ah, but yes, no. I uh, this is the this is the least get the flick out of here. I'll, I'll I have voted yet. <laughs> uh, this is this is it for me. This is up there with Team America for me of of non getting the flick out of here. Like very very solidly in the keep column. Um, and like again, the between the score and the lighting and some of the shots, like you feel like. There's parts of this that are timeless where nothing else that we've really watched, I feel like, in this have been super timeless. Um, but, like, there's there's so much artistic integrity put into this, whereas I feel like so much of the other stuff that we've watched on the comedy vein is just, uh -huh. like, relying on the silly gooseness. Yeah. But this felt like there was some real, real effort put into it. So it's, a, it's like, a good movie around all of that as well, which... Yeah. I, I really appreciate it because right from that opening shot you can you can tell yeah. it's it's really nice yeah really great. well done all right keep the flick in keep keep it keep it so far in uh, <laughs> and it's one of those things like I wish I could recommend and say hey it's on Netflix go watch it right now you'll love it it's a, it's got some really some some horror undertones so it's perfect for a Halloween week watch. 
but I can but, sit through it. Yeah, it's true. Um, but it's it's not available unless you want to plunk down some real money for it and own a copy of it either digitally or on DVD or Blu-ray. So it's weird, one of those or, weird things. You know, if you have um, yeah. a, v, a VPN of sorts yeah. Uh, yeah. on Amazon, you can go. There you go. Watch it in certain locations. So. In certain locations. <laughs> certain locations, but, like, where, like wherever the hell the Clopex are from. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But it is. It's like it's it's as entertaining as if you were going to a movie today to go watch yeah. it. Like that's, I, it's worth the money to uh -huh. me in that way. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. It is definitely. Um, but thank you everybody uh, uh, for, uh, for sitting through the longest version of this that we've done, I think, because I can't shut up about this movie that I love so much. Um, this and, and Team but, America were the only ones to go over two hours, I, I think. think. And yeah, they're the yeah. ones that were like the most into. Yep. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, it's the most, like, it's not fun talking about bad things. It's fun talking about, uh, about uh, good things or things, uh, bad things that you make good with funny, uh, impressions, I guess. Um, cause those are long as well. Um, but thanks everybody. Uh, next week, uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, but it's, we're coming down the home stretch, uh, people, uh, for, for, for Schlocktober, Schlocktober, Schlocktober fest. Um, uh, but yes, thank you all for, for being part of this. You can uh, uh, follow me on the Twitter at Alex Sourgraps. Follow Kate at Miss Kate Fabe. Uh, our work over at Fightful, I think, speaks for itself. Uh, and and please please go over there and 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 watch. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. This this Saturday is Halloween Havoc, so uh, we'll be reviewing that. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. And we'll see you in the next in the next one, and we'll tell you whether or not some creepy or some spooky cute movie needs to get the flick out of here. Bye, everybody. R e s p e c t. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.